Hello, and welcome to the Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett podcast. It's me, Lou Barrett. part two of the Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown episode. Today on the podcast, I am talking with Asia Mapp. Asia is a full-spectrum doula and has been doing reproductive justice work for a while now, and so I thought they were a perfect person to talk about pleasure activism with. You can find out more about Asia and their doula work on rootedgroundhealing.com. I was super excited by all the twists and turns we made throughout this episode. We really talked about a ton of different stuff, so I'm so excited for you all to listen. I also want to thank you for listening to this podcast. At Queer Discourse, we are actually trying to make this the most popular podcast on the planet. Um, So if you can, please go to iTunes, wherever you're listening, rate and review the podcast, Talk about the podcast on Instagram. Maybe share a photo from my Instagram at Lou the Barrett and say, oh my gosh, this is the coolest podcast I've ever listened to. I think maybe it's the best podcast on the planet. And then use hashtag queer discourse podcast. The more we can get people to listen, the better. So thank you so much. A quick note. At one point during the podcast, Asia and I talk about a friend of mine who was over helping me with the sound before the show, and we're talking about how they're so cute and that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, That is my friend, Coley Pizzoli. Coley Pizzoli is a dear friend of mine. Uh, She's like a family member. She's also kind of like my husband. (laughs) And yes, she is single. Without... Further ado, let's start the episode. Okay, cool. Well, so let's um, start right right around here by um, having you introduce yourself. Okay. My name's Asia. I struggled with this earlier. I've given it a little bit more reflection since then. <laughs> So I am black, I'm queer, I'm genderqueer. Um, I come from a poor, like, family in Cleveland, but not, like, generational poverty. There was actually gener- black, black generational wealth in Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's also chronic illness that runs in my family, and both my mom and I uh, deal with that. Um, I... I'm working in Cleveland as a mental health worker uh, and doing that on the, on the intersection of reproductive justice. So right now my, <laughs> my occupation is to counsel people with mental illness around um, improving their relationships with their children. 
beyond that I'm a doula and I have my own healing practice nice that's a great (laughs) (laughs) it's a great introduction is with doula do you um do you do any kind of abortion or death doula absolutely I'm a full spectrum you are Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in becoming a doula I think you should absolutely absolutely do it. I learned what a doula was from two friends who like did a training and I was like I had a lot of hostility towards birth at that point and like having children so it was like Mm-mm, not for me and then like through abortion care and through my nephew being born I was like oh actually no this is for me and for everybody. Yeah. What where did that hostility come from? Um I just feel like well, it relates to my gender identity. I'm genderqueer, and I feel like so often I get read as a cis femme, and, you know, my queerness and my transness is really um, invisible. But, and so I feel like there's been this, like, I've been socialized as a cis woman, um, and I'm not, and I've been resistant to that since I was a fucking kid. Like, you know, and people just haven't, you know, listened. Um and there's been so much like external pressure around like having kids and like that seems really painful like all of the depictions of having kids is like and like from witnessing what parenting has been in my life it's a fucking struggle it looks hard and like really um just crippling in some ways um and so I was like nope not for me like having kids is not for me Mm -hmm. having kids a whole body passed through my body is not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel differently about that now. Yeah. <laughs> so now you would consider carrying kids? I don't think I don't think carrying kids is for me. I've witnessed the magic of birth, and I'm like, wow, it takes like a divine vessel, like however you relate to divinity and just mm-hmm. power and majesty. I'm like, god damn, this is incredible. <laughs> um, in a lot of respect, and I, I don't think that's my role. <laughs> I am the supporter. I I will like take care of you and the baby. I love babies like mm-hmm. more than most people think is normal. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll do all of that stuff. Yeah, have you read Argonauts by Maggie Nelson? That's my favorite book. I'll text it to you after this so you can save it. But I was also someone who did not think I ever wanted to give birth, and it was also for um gender related reasons because. I also am read as a cis <laughs> which in the last year and a half or so since coming out as non-binary, I've embraced more of my femininity. Like it was like through using that identity, I felt like I gave myself like more freedom to like take what of that I wanted, you know? Um, but I still like the idea of people rubbing my belly and being like condescending and being too caretaking sounded like so terrible and like, yeah, dysphoria inducing. So I was like, not for me. But Maggie Nelson's book, she's a, a cis femme um, woman. I believe she identifies that way. But she, okay, she's a cis femme woman. Argonauts is about her pregnancy with her trans, um, trans masculine non-binary partner. And they had a um, kid of their own before them and Maggie got together but the way she talks about she talks a lot about she brings theory and gender um yeah gender theory and like psycho psychoanalysis and these different critical theories into her writing and it's super interesting like she writes in verse and then will reference people throughout it and she kept talking about the idea that we think of gender bending as like sexy and cool if it's masculine and like daddy and all that stuff but like anything like 
womanhood associated like motherhood is seen as heteronormative and like regressive or something when that's like misogyny i highly recommend that book it really um it changed i mean for me it ended up meaning i wanted to carry kids but i also like totally understand not wanting to carry kids but i felt like it would i would be more better to like overcome those discomforts you know like it helped me feel more empowered and it's like I don't know. I just think um, parenting is like one of the most like human things we do. So to like say it's straight or cis doesn't really make any sense. To it me. makes absolutely no sense. It's like really, um, it's like from a, um, I think a depletion mindset, like a depletion of the world's resources. But ourselves, like we all need to have a role mm-hmm. in sort of. I don't want to say parenting, but like raising. In the wide spectrum of what parenting is, and that's ensuring that, like, kids have a safe environment to grow up so our species can, you know, evolve. Um, so that's, like, not destroying the planet through climate change. That's not, you know, destroying sexuality uh, through oppressive gender politics and through rape culture. Um, and it's, like, taking care of the folks who choose to do that amazing work of parenting and, like, bearing the children and I think it's really fucked up how in today's society, like, parenting falls on the shoulders of one, maybe two, maybe if you're really lucky, a family of people. Mm-hmm. But so rarely is it seen as communal anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the type of parenting I want to do. Like, right. Probably not birth a child. Like, mm-hmm. your kid is my kid. I want to be a godmother to, like, 50 kids. Yeah. <laughs> All of my doula kids. I saw this one really cool Instagram post. It was a doula who traveled around the world and just, like, helped with like birth all these babies and whenever she would travel she would have a connection with the mother have a connection with the the kid and the family Mm -hmm. and go visit them i'm like what that's so cool yeah that is cool well i always think i'm always trying to think of um what are like pros in like queer families or queer parenting that are things that aren't always a part of like a, a straight cis parenting and i think the like it takes a village mindset is so much a part of queer parenting whereas with straight families the nuclear family and just mom dad kids is like typical yeah it's such a destructive mindset like there's so much room for pathology and just like being overwhelmed Mm -hmm. why not just like let your kids frolic in a fill it with neighbors you trust all right (laughs) yeah it makes sense so I love that and I love that opening even though it's not related to the book but it kind of is yeah they have some parents yeah <laughs> but yeah so we're talking about pleasure activism by Adrienne Marie Brown I kind of yeah I thought it would be cool to open with talking about I liked how they talked about having pleasure pleasure routines do you have a pleasure routine did you have one before you read this I would say no, but I'm, like, developing one now. Sweet. Do you want to talk about it at all? Yeah, sure. So I've been thinking a lot about sensory experiences lately, since reading this book, book actually, and, like, what sensory experiences are feeling pleasurable for me. Um, and so when I'm, I've been out in nature, like, taking walks in this beautiful fall weather, and I'm like, oh, my God, what a beautiful sensory experience this is. <laughs> and I've been, like, fantasizing and enjoying some sweets and treats and like fall food and like oh my god what a beautiful taste and you know sensor sensor experiences mm-hmm. i like just ate a peach the other day and like 
very nearly had an orgasm it was just so beautiful <laughs> and i've been doing so much like pleasurable masturbation to like porn that represents me that i really enjoy and i'm like fuck yes this is it um those are parts of a developing routine I think. yeah did you follow her instructions to masturbate at every new chapter I did not, but I definitely tried to have an orgasm before starting it because I was on, like, the initial page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I did, too, but I did not follow it throughout. I, like, said I was going to, and then I'm, like, with most books, I'm, like, sh- 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 like reading really fast, and the idea of stopping to come every, like, <laughs> I don't know, 20 minutes felt like a lot. But I have masturbated a lot more since reading it, for sure. It's definitely an invitation of like, well, I already like to masturbate and like there was only more time. So yeah, let's just put that more time in. Right. Well, I feel like for me in like the last like couple of years, masturbation has been like, oh my God, I'm so horny. I have to masturbate right now instead of like, a, oh, I just kind of want to or you know what I mean? <laughs> like, So I feel like this made like encouraged me to make that more. I really like the idea I believe Adrienne Marie Brown talks about this and another author I just read, Chris Donahue, talks about that, like how masturbation is just as important as partnered sex. So making it like a really, I don't know, regular part of your life makes sense. And I like feel like I go on waves. I feel that too. I feel that to be true that um, it's an essential part of your sex life. My partner actually didn't uh, masturbate before we met. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, girl, you got to get that together. (laughs) Because, like, if you don't know your body in those ways, you don't know what brings you pleasure, then it's going to be very hard to communicate that to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's just setting us both up for, like, disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been masturbating since I was, like, six. and I started watching porn, I think, when I was, like, nine. And so I've had a long, like, storied experience with, like, sexuality, with my body, with pleasure, and with, like, the absence, the, the total absence of pleasure and abuse. Mm. Um, I'm actually a childhood sexual assault survivor, and I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet, but I really am excited to read that. Mm. Um, but I found that, like, I had an early relationship with masturbation that used to, like, really reflect some of those like negative experiences and for the past couple of years I've been reclaiming that Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of power in masturbating for me Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense yeah I think um I I did not have childhood sexual assault but as an adult like 15 and older and I think the reason my the last few years have been less so is because that's like in that time I've been working through a lot of that so it can be kind of but I think um kind of going sometimes my mind goes faster than my speaking goes (laughs) but I think with what they talk about with like somatics and stuff um it makes sense to help help your body relearn that connection by continuing to like use those muscles and masturbate that's what (laughs) so I've like because okay so I have an interesting relationship with coming too because vulnerability for me is a really difficult thing um so yeah, I had like I was there was one point in my life a couple years ago and I was like looking up tricks to like orgasm to come like how do you do it? Um and a couple of posts I I saw were like think of happy thoughts, like associate positive things, laugh. Mm. So now sometimes I'll oscillate between porn and comedy and I'm just like laughing or I'll have my partner like sit in the bed with me and just like we'll be silly and laughing about whatever and I'll be like watching porn at the same time and getting my groove on. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. I like have never I've masturbated obviously with partners, but never when the partner is doing something totally like not sexual. I think that would be a lot of fun. I like realized it helps me to like do something. Um, I don't know how to describe it. I'll just give an example. Like I recorded myself coming like, on audio. Fancy. Yeah, with <laughs> with like the intention to send it to someone specific. But then I didn't send it to them. But it was still like so erotic to do that at all. And then it's like it like made this whole story. Yeah, it was are fun. You, are you a voyeur? Do you like to be watched? Do you? Like- oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, big performer. Yeah, um, that's why I said yeah. I, I've masturbated with partners a ton, but it's always from the like they're watching, and it's you know. I've been doing something lately that's purely pleasure, um, but like I've been considering doing some like real soft core like porn, mm-hmm. um, and it's just me like erotic dancing in my. Uh, lingerie like blasting rihanna mm-hmm. <laughs> and send it to my friends and be like if you guys want to leave a tip or subscribe to my mm-hmm. only fans but like an intimate circle of friends and i'm just like being sexy for the fun of it yeah that sounds really fun yeah i um i used to send like videos to my college ex but we were together three years and i just think it's because i haven't been with someone for that long there's like i really gotta build trust like send some pictures, but a video is like kind of next level. Attention people, young and old. Guess what? I have a special offer for you today. There is a place on Larchmere Boulevard. Maybe you've heard of it. This place is called Larchmere Fireworks. Okay, now I have your attention. Now you're wondering, what is this thing, this place offer? And I'll tell you what they offer. Glass blowing and blacksmithing. That's right, glass blowing and blacksmithing right on Larchmere. You may have thought in your life, hey, I want to make a sword. I don't know if they, you could make a sword there. I want to make something out of glass. You can definitely do that. Come on down. If you mention the podcast, you get 10% off which is a beautiful discount. And not only that, but you may be intimidated. Maybe I want to go there. I want to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Tina and Cassie are two of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. They run the store. They're so welcoming and kind. You're going to feel right at home and you're going to walk away making something new. Spice up your day. Do something different. Okay. Do a little glass blowing. You might surprise yourself. Mention the podcast. 10% 10% off. That's Larchmere Fireworks on Larchmere Boulevard. I'm not a drinker myself. I seriously, I don't drink at all. However, there's a super cool bar on the west side of Cleveland called Jukebox. It's called Jukebox because you guessed it, there's a jukebox there. It has something like 100 records to play. And yes, I don't drink, but they have an awesome food menu, including vegan and gluten-free options. I'm currently on the gluten-free kick because I always want people to have a hard time feeding me. They have one of the largest outdoor patios in Cleveland, which is super cool, especially now with social distancing. So if you're looking for an inclusive bar, they have rainbow flags on the windows. You'll feel right at home at Jukebox on the west side of Cleveland. Again, that's Jukebox Cleveland on the west side.
So um, with your pleasure, with your pleasure routine, what have you been like working on doing? Oh, uh, like, I guess like, what does that look like for you, or what do you want it to look like? Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, so I will. Vi- I had a visualization session like a year, two years ago, um, and I took some time to just like write out a visualization visualization piece because um, I was considering moving to the Bay. Um, and I was like, okay, what can my life like in the Bay look like? Um, and so I was like, in this piece, I just imagined like what it would look like. Like mm-hmm. I'll wake up at seven in the morning, do some sunrise yoga, you know, drink some chai tea. And it feels similar now, like my pleasure routine ideally would like course throughout my entire day and mm-hmm. overall my life. But I think it'd be like some a mix of simple pleasures and just really like some indulgent pleasures um, a lot of expression a lot of creativity um, a lot of communal freaky stuff and just mm-hmm. communal stuff in general um, and stuff that completes my energy cycles mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean completes my energy cycles I don't know what that means cool I was hoping you would ask because okay. like I don't know if, <laughs> I think it's something I made up um, so for me an, an energy cycle is when like so we're always exchanging energy between ourselves, between um, each other. And so like when you put out energy, ideally you want that energy to like come into a complete circle, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't ever want to be depleted of energy, but you also don't want to have like too much and be mm-hmm. just bouncing off the walls in right. chaos. Uh, so when I send energy, energy out like through healing work, I want to ideally replenish myself and like complete mm-hmm. that exchange. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So that's like having like different air after aftercare. Would that be considered that? I think it's I think it's that, and I think it's also just like doing things that bring you pleasure. Like it yeah. would be really nice if my you know occupational work didn't exhaust me to the point where I was like, all right, now I've got to sleep for five days because I'm so mm-hmm. exhausted. You know, if it was like pleasure work instead, then right, I would be cool afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I this year have gotten really um, into baking, and I feel like have started like this like healing stuff with my relationship with food, which I never considered to be bad but I think like so many people who are socialized as female like our version of not bad is like someone else's version of like oh my god that's terrible or you know what I mean (laughs) um but it was more like it wasn't it it was like I just would eat for like sustenance and nutritional purposes so like it could be the most boring meal but if it's like giving me what I need great like who cares what it tastes you know and where this year I um I was telling you earlier when you were here earlier about how I have started like getting into cooking and like getting rid of the weird expectations I have around that with being socialized female and then um so I've gotten really into baking and that's something that's gotten given me a lot of pleasure that I like am creating this thing from like scratch on my own and then like eat it and it tastes amazing and I can like share it with friends and it tastes amazing and we all feel great (laughs) like so that was I liked when she talked about food um throughout it which I felt like it was like talked about but like never really like dove in and you know but it's such a long book it's like to dive into all of it it would be like thousands of pages it's huge i was so like exhausted after just reading 20 because i'm like this is so much to digest and this Mm -hmm. is like these are so many of my worldly views distilled into this 400 page book that i'm like whoo whoa give me a minute Mm -hmm. um but on the topic of food pleasure yes um 
I have an intuitive food healing coach. My friend is one. Mm. And I myself am a food healer um, because I think that like that pleasure that comes from food is so necessary for our spiritual mm. and emotional health. And I'm like, yes, liberate. Like, mm. I feel like, yeah, that's a, an amazing thing that you've opened for yourself. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, this isn't a therapy session, so I won't go into <laughs> where all of that came from but it was one of those things I think sometimes things are so like your norm and your everyday that you don't think that there's anything like weird about it yeah and it was a friend of mine who was like oh my god like we got to get this under control like good (laughs) not like because they would I don't remember if I've said this on a previous episode it's just something I talk about a lot but she saw like a can of beans in my fridge in like a mason jar and a spoon and I would just like eat the beans she's like (laughs) we could do better yeah and I was like what's the big deal but then when I started like actually making food and like putting all it's like you're putting all of this like love and care and energy and all of this feeling into it and then eating it it it, like is really powerful you know what's your ancestry I don't know okay at all um I know I have Irish, Scottish, uh, Czech Republic. I really want to take one of the tests. At one time, someone asked me, I was like out to dinner and they asked me and I said, I don't know, I'm just regular white. And I thought it was, (laughs) (laughs) and I thought it was hilarious. Um, But I, but then I remember the same year having a conversation with someone and talking about how that's like a form of white privilege to like not know or give a shit or engage. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I like hadn't really thought about that. So it's on my list to do one of those like 23 Amin your ancestry, but I honestly, uh, I don't know. I'm not trying to call you in because of that. I have a, a specific question that's related. Mm-hmm. What about your cultural ancestry in terms of like the, the cultures you grew up in? Um, like, like economic background and like family life that kind of thing yeah yeah. um yeah my family is like my it's always complicated so they're like middle class lower middle class my mom was um is an alcoholic and she was at her like rock bottom when I was a kid so it always felt like we had less money than was reality because like of the way she spent money um but I lived with my aunt a lot and I was like often taken care of by like other family members or was doing a lot of like I was definitely parentified very young um so like taking care of myself a lot in ways and my family is dysfunctional but I grew up in like a all-white suburb I don't know does that answer that question pretty well culturally yeah (laughs) (laughs) in some stark ways that I'm really sorry for oh no it's okay and I'm not trying to unload yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can tell you're not trying to employ me i know, I know. yeah yeah <laughs> um i wanted to ask so what were you eating during those times beige foods okay. i always <laughs> when i explain what i ate as a kid it's always like stuff that was beige so mac and cheese corn dogs mashed potatoes God. white bread like that's so depressing <laughs> I, know. I know and it was like the times that we had really exciting food um, I say exciting because, like, our version of exciting was, like, Thanksgiving. Um, and I remember, like, I loved the green or, like, the asparagus and green beans, like, my grandma would make. And they were from a can. 
And my mom like said once, she's like, yeah, you like them because they're like, you like like hillbilly food. I was like, what? I like, <laughs> and I, and she was saying, cause it's from a can and it's like lathered in butter and salt. Yeah. It's like, oh, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to give people a weird, a different impression of my childhood. I like was fine, but, <laughs> um, but as a, I didn't try like avocados until I was like 17 gotcha. or like, <laughs> so it was like produce was not a big part of my life until I was in college and I'm not a vegan now, but I was a vegan. And that was something that was really, um, was some, what's what got me into that gotcha. because for the first time I was like really like working vegetables and fruit into like most meals. So does that answer your question? It does. But yeah. I think it's like s- saying that out loud explains exactly why my relationship to food yeah. <laughs> was what it was. What was it like for you? Uh, it was colorful, very mm-hmm. homey and warm, and a lot of tenderness was exchanged through food. I think that my family is horribly emotionally like non-communicative, mm-hmm. um, but I think that we have like always found a lot of tenderness and kinship through food for example my grandmother um I, I mentioned to you earlier that like before I was 18 I had moved like 22 times mm-hmm. and so home was always a really shaky place and um I lacked a lot of stability but my grandmother has owned her home since like I think the 1970s wow um so it's always been a place where I could go back to it was always warm and familiar and you know has that smell and she had a garden outside of it. And so every Sunday we would have Sunday dinner and she would get fresh tomato and onion from the garden. And we'd have this like magical meal. And I remember as a kid, like my family jokes a lot about like fatness related to food, like the amount you eat. Mm. And I was always being labeled fat. They're like, mm. you're greedy. And it was never like necessarily harmful. It was like mm-hmm. we're joking and you know. Right. I was like, sure, I love food. I <laughs> am willing to like commit myself and like show it. I would like we would go out to eat at Waffle House and I'd be mm-hmm. eating some country ham and I would close my eyes and just like let, you know, the salt overwhelm my tongue and feel mm-hmm. that rush of like water. Mm-hmm. And my family would be like, Oh my God, Asia, why are you sitting here like having a full blown orgasm at seven at Waffle House? I'm like, Y'all, this food is good as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult, I'm an adult and I love to travel and I love to like one of the ways like I pick up culture is through food and I'm mm-hmm. so like grateful that I can see something and be like or like smell something and be like I have an idea of how to recreate that and go home and try my best because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get like really crafty in the kitchen that's cool um what did I want to ask you like we're talking about stability and at times there being instability with moving a lot but then there being these Stabilities in like your grandma's house and these traditions of making food from the garden. Do you think stability and pleasure are sometimes like um, together? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, could you speak more to that? Yeah, I guess I'm saying, do you think um, part, of, part of what people need to feel pleasure is stability? Like, is sometimes pleasure not as not possible without stability? I think, I think, yes. <laughs> but I've, I've met some people in this world who are so different than me that it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I know that I am a grounded person who mm-hmm. 
needs routine, who needs stability, who needs familiarity to just be okay and not be in, you know, chaos and frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've met people who, you know, f- to me have a lot more erratic energy who can like bounce around. And, you know, I don't know if that's like, I don't know if that's an indication of something else or if that's like their true, their true need mm-hmm. in life. Uh, but I definitely find pleasure through stability and yeah, recreating those those moments of like intimacy and indulgence. Right, totally. Yeah, I feel like often I have to have some level of stability or insecurity in order to like allow myself to like be open. You know, yeah, that, like I think about going back to like sex stuff, and I've like with partners, it's I've struggled to come with partners, but it's like over time continuing with that person, building trust with that person, you know what I mean? Then I like finally like my body can like relax to do that. And so I think some of that is like for me, um, it's like, yeah, having stability, having security like allows for pleasure to happen. But I don't always think it's like so black and white. Are you demisexual? Yeah. I like don't I um I I I say wait, what do I want to say? I don't like say open openly identify now that it's a secret but um i don't want to have so many words to describe myself uh but a hundred percent a hundred percent okay yeah that's one of the reasons for me like apps have always been so weird because it's like i can say that someone's like attractive or not attractive to me but like i have no idea like until we're in a room and we're talking and what does their voice sound like and you know yeah how are you with um like could you meet somebody and like want to have sex and actually have sex with them the same night i have only done that a couple times and um one of the times more in recent years it was like after a breakup like i was 100 percent coping like (laughs) and i was really open with the person that that was what was going on um but there was like some level of like play in that that it was like oh my god we've never met and like I think you're hot and you think I'm hot let's do it you know so it was like again there's like a story like I'm really into there being a story Uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but no it's it's always been these this these two things that feel in conflict for me that I'm a very sexual person but also I like can't have sex with people I don't know that well or like Like, in high school, I had a lot of sexual partners. And it was, like, the older I got, the fewer I had in, like, I don't know, long amounts of time. Um, But I think that is, like, the demisexual thing. Sure. I feel like I have a lot to contribute to that. You do? Let's hear it. (laughs) I feel similarly. Um, I will say that I think it's important how you define sex. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is work that I've, like, been trying to do more of is, like, sex is different for everybody literally our relationship to sex why we have it what sort of cultural political influences you know define that for us um and i feel like for me for a long time like the messages i was receiving about sex were like sex is something you only have with people you love something sex is something that like you know is a gift between two people i was like okay that seems kind of like poetic and sweet sure (laughs) but in my actual lived experiences like i've only really experienced that a few times and it's Mm. been magical Mm -hmm. but also okay so keep that thread and simultaneously while while this discovery was happening i was also like 
recovering from my sexual trauma and learning to trust my body and Mm -hmm. my own relationship with sex control Mm -hmm. stuff like that and i recently like went on a trip with some folks i didn't know Mm -hmm. which is like I knew one of them, and then I didn't know the other. They brought a friend, and mm-hmm. this friend was fine. <laughs> and I was immediately attracted to them, and, like, the second night of the trip, they ended up calling me out and just being like, hey, I'm sending something between us. Like, mm-hmm. is, is this real? Is this mutual? And I was like, yeah, and I want to, like, hook up. Like, I want to do something about it. <laughs> so we ended up having, like, really wonderful, mind-blowing sex. Mm-hmm. Um like oral play for like the first time which is something i've been craving for years it was just Mm. like great um and i went back home and i talked to my therapist and i'm like how did this happen like Mm -hmm. i've never been this trusting Mm. and she was like it wasn't the other person you needed to trust it was you that you could Mm. go that far and like you know come back when you needed to and Mm -hmm. be in control right i was like yes you're right Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that makes sense yeah i think some of what'll come into it for me is like do I want this person I've never met in my house? Like, I feel so, like, I'm so protective of my space. Um, So that's one element in, like, hooking up with someone I've never met that comes up. Also, do I want to be in their house? I've never met them. Like, all these, like... And I think also because so many of my experience, my past traumas were, like, strangers in, like, unpredictable settings. So it's just, like, I can be just, like, I'm, you know... Tense. Yeah. Yeah, almost agoraphobic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but that's why we also talked about this earlier. I wanted to go to sex parties for years, um, way before I even, like, started working through my own sexual trauma, but I have always thought that would be really healing to be in, like, really sex, lots of sex environments (laughs) where, like everyone's you know consenting and feel good like I don't know that I would have sex like the first time but I just think it would be great to watch just like be around you know feel the energy yeah I think consent playgrounds are so necessary yeah Yeah, because I I think about I've been I was thinking about this recently well because I'm reading Lou Sullivan's diaries and he talks about he he says something about bottoming always being like a form of embarrassment or looking stupid which I don't I don't agree with that and I'm a bottom (laughs) um but I did start getting me thinking about how these like power dynamics it's like so hard to I don't know escape them it always feels like it's best to just like talk about it I guess like just bring awareness to it can you tell me more um yeah, well, I just think with my with my own relationships, especially being a lot of butch femme dynamics, there have it's sometimes felt like, um, you know, they're they're this they're the higher level, I'm the lower level, you know, they're the dominator, I'm the they fuck, I get fucked, whatever, like all that stuff. Yeah. And I think being being not just like sex parties, but um, you know, making more friends that to have like casual sex with, I think would be cool because I think some of those power dynamics, at least for me, have developed because of the type of relationship we were having. Like because it was like a romantic and more intimate relationship. Whereas like if we were just like buddies, that wouldn't necessarily be happening. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, not to do like a hard turn, but <laughs> what are some of the things you had talked about the book? Um kind of reflecting your worldview back at you. Can you talk to that about that a little more? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I just, I was one really grateful that you had um, prescribed this or like asked me to join you in this because <clears throat> I was like, how does this person know me so well to give me this book? <laughs> like, what? I feel like, yeah, we've only had one conversation yeah. before today. <laughs> well, we've only met in person once right. today. Um, but yeah, just in the language um, and how she's one writing this book. I'm a writer, and so I've always felt like my writing style was like too, like weird or too like um, too much prose and not enough, you know, like format and structure and all that good stuff. And I'm like, but this is how I like write. This is how I want to communicate. Mm-hmm. And so when I see folks who are like, you know, writing books that feel like just their stream of consciousness mm-hmm. ramblings, I'm like, yes, girl, power to you. Mm-hmm. And it's possible for me to do it too. Um, so I appreciated that. I really appreciated the uses of the erotic. Because mm-hmm. that's a... Audre Lorde is a a person who's, like, one of my ancestors. I actually mm-hmm. just got a, an Audre Lorde tattoo. Oh, like, really? A week ago, yeah. Nice. Um, and so I was like, gosh, this is on the nose. And just, like, the whole... The principles. So um, I had never heard of pleasure activism before, but... My doula practice is, um, it's, it's a healing practice and the goal is to like change the world through reproductive justice and sexual Mm -hmm. health. Um, because I have found myself at such a unique intersection. Like I never expected to be doing reproductive justice work because I didn't feel female and I felt like that conversation was centered around like female people who wanted to give birth and I was like that's not me like I'll never I'm never gonna be pregnant I'm never gonna have a kid like that's not me at all Mm -hmm. and somehow I got like snatched into this world and like it hasn't let me go and I've been really resisting (laughs) I went to school I studied um peace and global studies African and African-American studies and psychology and I was like okay I'm gonna be a psychiatrist or I'm gonna Mm -hmm. be like a prison liberationist, like an educator, something, just mm-hmm. nothing involving reproductive justice. <laughs> and um, now it's kind of like I can't do anything without relating it to reproductive mm-hmm. justice. And I've heard other like folks who are grounded in that work like say the same thing. Like I was really like snatched into this world, and it's true. It was with the birth of my nephew that I was mm-hmm. like, I feel called to action on this subject, and I have to do something about it. And then you get initiated into that world and you realize how much it has Mm -hmm. to do with literally every single thing. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So now I'm deeply committed. Um, And this book feels like it has taken that constellation of stars that can be seen as like disparate or disjoined parts and like really put them together in a Mm -hmm. map. And I'm like, okay, there are people who are doing, like bringing all of these things together Mm -hmm. about somatics, about psychology, Mm -hmm. about community, about you know trauma just literally everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you feel like all of those join together in your doula practice definitely Mm -hmm. how does um if you don't mind with um with like say birthing doulas what are some of the ways that somatics will be used like I guess some of it feels like maybe obvious but with breathing and stuff but what are like some not so obvious just with birthing or um because I'm really interested in I, I'm really interested in deck doula work. Um, if you could speak to that, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So somatics is... Okay, so... How do I find my, my place here? I don't differentiate between like somatics and psychology and like 
pleasure, like anything involving we are beings we're whole beings we live this life not in disparate parts but in joined like a joint harmony and it really has to be in harmony so like it's really what came first like the chicken or the egg for me and i'm mm-hmm. like i am a scholar of psychology but i'm also a scholar like a broadening scholar of biology and i'm a scholar of poetry and i'm a scholar of pleasure and like all of these things are equally important like you just you won't be good without the other so i've like routed in my own brain like I know what the ultimate goal of my work is. Like, I know mm-hmm. the work I want to be doing. But the pathway to get there, like, I have no clue. And so I've thought about, like, being a digestive health doctor because your digestion relates so well to your mental health. And mm-hmm. your mental health really impacts the pregnancy you're going to have and the relationship with your kids you're going to have. And, you know, all of these things are so connected. Um, so I would say particularly for death and uh, birthing doula, you have to be a vessel for this person and you also have to be like a rooted tree is what Mm -hmm. I envision myself as um and in order to do that I think you have to be somatically aware of what you're contributing to the space like um and also how you show up in that space both embodied presence and literally like what kind of energy you're bringing Mm -hmm. and then you have to be aware of this person's like body and their their not biology to like a cellular molecular degree but like what is going on for this person? What's impacting them? What's impacting their ability to give birth right now? And like, mm-hmm. how can I hold space for them tenderly? And it's also like just a lot of fucking biology too mm-hmm. <laughs> in doula practicing about like massage and essential oil and like mm-hmm. pressure points. And, like, if you want to take it that far, and I do energy work with my clients. I do Reiki. Mm-hmm. Um, I do guided meditations, and like I have doula friends who are yoga teachers and massage therapists. Mm-hmm. So it's all really connected in that way. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm so interested. <laughs> you should do it. I think that, yeah, if you... I have a community of doulas if you wanted to, like, talk to all of mm-hmm. us. Because the training can be, like, super informal. You don't have to have, like, a degree, necess- like, a, a right. certification to be a doula. If, if you feel it, you can do it. Right. That's so... Yeah, that's the part that's always felt so abstract to me. Like, I can read a few books and... I mean, I assume you can plug into a community and then kind of try to shadow or, like, find mentors. Is that what typically people do? So there are organizations who offer certification. And, like, usually, like, mine was a a nine-month certification, but Mm -hmm. it was only a four-day training in person. And then the rest was, like, reading this um, army of literature, this, which Mm -hmm. I think should be included. Um, And then, like, talking to mentors and, you know, attending a couple of births and doing, like, taking... Uh, lactation classes to be a lactation mm-hmm. like some formal stuff but mostly it's just like dueling is an ancestral process like before we had hospitals and intricate medical systems like mm-hmm. grandmothers were giving birth right <laughs> we're birthing their children um mm-hmm. i mean their children's children um mm-hmm. and yeah so if you feel like that's part of your ancestral lineage that you want to like bring to life like mm-hmm yeah Yeah. um how many parents do you work with typically like during a year it depends i've actually only had three clients thus far Mm -hmm. um which seems pretty like on par i got certified in 2018 oh okay yeah um so it's a fairly recent practice in terms of like the birth doula stuff Mm -hmm. um before that i was working at a clinic doing abortion care for two years and i had thousands of clients Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
okay, a lot of people want to do yoga. I can't bend, I can't do that, I can't close my eyes, you know, for two seconds. Enough is enough. Come and check out AbideYogaCleveland.com. It's a yoga studio on Larchmere Boulevard, and they offer a welcoming, safe, happy place for all levels of yogis. You can call yourself a yogi if you do one class. So you come in, check out their website. In these times of COVID, they're offering outdoor classes. They're offering Zoom classes. This is a truly important thing that could really positively affect your life. So check them out. You may be listening to this podcast and thinking, I like this. And I hope you are, because frankly, this is just one of the many outlets and channels that Lou Barrett is expressing their art and creativity and writing. Uh, You may be familiar, if you're familiar with Lou Barrett, with Purple Palm Press. Okay, what is Purple Palm Press, though, if you really think about it? Well, I'll tell you, it is a publishing company featuring stories from queer artists with a focus on dating and relationships. Always a very enticing topic. Recently. And Purple Palm Press is not only just a beautiful alliteration, but a community that is building to give queer people and queer artists an outlet. And it's a really important, beautiful thing. I personally love it a lot. So you might be saying, okay, oh, that sounds good. That sounds great. <laughs> what can I do? There's always something you can do, silly. And the thing you can do is contribute to Lou Barrett's Patreon account. Now, here's what's going to happen we're going to do a 50 50 split. goes to Purple Palm Press, 50% goes to Lou Barrett, everybody's happy at the end of the day. So if you are inspired by this content and you want to see more of it and we got to get out there, we got to be queer and support each other, we all know this is very important, check out patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett and show some love. What were some of the things that you wanted to talk about? Okay, so this was an important passage for me. Um, it's on page 45. I think it's during her uh, her interview with Kara. So I believe Kara's talking and she says, I was steeped in reproductive health and justice and it made sense to me. Let us honor what is happening to our bodies, the histories of trauma we are holding in our bodies that block us from desire. I worked with some some women with diabetes or different illnesses, asking that we consider these illnesses as as manifestations, sorry, as manifestations of oppression and slavery, self hatred and attempted genocide. And how do you transform these very dense masses in the body into feeling that you can fly and you can move and have different shapes? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Why do you like it? So I have a chronic illness, um, I have diabetes and uh, a slew of mental illness and some other like chronic physical illness. Um, and so like me, in my body has been a war. Lately I've been thinking about this, just about how much I've warred with my body as, as a person um, and how I, I think... I finally come to like honor my body and that feels so different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that makes sense and um the part about that I really resonated with is um the idea that a lot of these a lot of physical things are caused by mental things and then vice versa um 
Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about that. Um, just that I think that it seems to be something that's becoming more and more um, like commonplace or popular to talk about within like mental health at least um, or like mental health communities. And I think about because I started therapy when I was 15 and the ways that mental health has been talked about from when I was 15 till now is like so vastly different. Um, and I think that's one of the major differences is that it seems like more and more um, potentially not just in different trauma therapies, but any form of talk therapy, that there's more of a focus on both the body and the mind. And I think about, I mean, so many times I was in college, I was like doing like, in my opinion now, ridiculous things with my body, like the amount of like energy drinks I was drinking. I was a heavy smoker. I would barely get any sleep. And I also struggled with depression and anxiety, like really intensely. And like now with the things I know, I'm like, well, like no shit. Like there were like, <laughs> there were of course, there were, were like emotional and like things in my environment that were like impacting that as well. But like, I wasn't setting myself up for success kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like something I think about that feels um, like is becoming more and more, uh, I don't know, understood in a part of it, you know, that like everything you're doing with yourself like matters you know not just who you're friends with or like not just emotional elements holistic health like seeing mm-hmm. ourselves in all of these dimensions that mm-hmm. we exist in um have, do you know about the group climbing poetry Mm-mm. so i don't know if they've disbanded i think they've just taken a hiatus but they're two really dope like women of color one of them is queer the other is naima penman or pennyman whose sister uh Run Soulfire Farm, mm-hmm. which is like a black-owned farming collective that does a lot of like work in food healing and food justice, and it's just super dope. Uh, anyway, Climbing Poetry has this saying that like there is no such thing as a natural disaster. They call it like unnatural disasters. Mm. Uh, so things like Katrina, things like they're all everything in the world is like there's no like singular occurrence, right? Everything happens on a plane mm-hmm. and intersects with so many things including oppression and including our healing and so it makes sense that like you were experiencing those right. many <laughs> things uh in college when you were at the crux of like i you know mental illness woes and physical mm-hmm. right difficulties yeah just, right like they yeah um yeah and I, I guess what I said isn't totally related to that passage, but that's what it made me think about, <laughs> were just the ways that the body and mind affect each other. And I think this, yeah, exactly. And I think that even more broadly, like our environments also mm-hmm. affect us, um, which is why I think the part about that you highlighted, these illnesses as manifestations of oppression and slavery, self-hatred, and attempted genocide. Like, we can't ignore any part of what's happened to us as people, mm-hmm. which is why, like, I've been really grateful for spaces lately that have required that we call in our ancestors. Um, I also don't know much about my ancestry, uh, but I know, you know, what I know, which is that for the past two generations, my family has been in Cleveland. I know mm-hmm. that I was raised by two black women i know that they formed a culture around where like things like money and 
you know, appearance and food uh, were important and things like open communication Mm -hmm. (laughs) weren't as important or weren't as strived for. Uh, So I'm like, okay, that's the culture I was like bred in. And um, that's part of my my lineage. Mm -hmm. Just like this book, Access to Call in Our Pleasure Lineage. Mm -hmm. I love that. Me too. Mm -hmm. I often phrase like, that question to people i'm like tell me about your gender evolution tell me about your sexual mm-hmm. evolution like how did all of this shit start for you to be where you are now mm-hmm. and i retrace my own i'm like you know i was a freaky little kid <laughs> i was i would literally like masturbate at six i would just like put my hand on my genitals and mm-hmm. like hump the bed mm-hmm. and i would do it openly because i didn't think there was anything mm-hmm. wrong with it and mm-hmm. i also didn't know like all of the context around it so when my mom like found out nobody stopped me and mm. nobody talked to me about it they were just kind of like they just kind of let me do mm-hmm. it because <laughs> i don't think they had the words to explain like right what masturbation was um but then i remember when i was nine i started watching porn because we had a computer in the house and i was watching playboy and like looking at pictures of naked women <laughs> and my aunt caught me or not caught me she caught someone through the computer's history and so my mom and my aunt like sat sat down and like interviewed me and my brother and my mom had asked me like which one of you were like was it you who looked at the stuff on the computer mm-hmm. and before I could answer my aunt inter- interceded and was like no it could have been her like she has the same parts why would she want to look at her own parts and I was like convenient yes exactly was not <laughs> me have the same parts mind you I was like I had already had sex with a with a girl. I was mm. like, you know, pretty like on the road to finding mm. out I was queer. <laughs> yeah, um, but I was like, okay, so that's part of like what sex is. Like it's, and then I de- had to develop this like weird relationship with my own sexuality because mm-hmm. like, this isn't something that people do. I guess this is isn't something that girls do. They don't look at pictures of other girls, mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't even believe it then. I didn't like think it was wrong, but I was like. I gotta at least keep this out of the eyes of other people because they'll think it's wrong. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, mine, I was, my, I think of my pleasure lineage starting with, did you ever watch the movie Look Who's Talking? Yeah. (laughs) I was like obsessed with that movie and I was obsessed with like the opening scene of her like, she's like making out in like a polka dot dress or something and then like the Beach Boys song comes on and the sperm are like swimming Uh, around. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like fascinated by sex and I was like wanting to reenact it with like friends of mine and I thought sex was you make out with your clothes on and that's sex. (laughs) And then yeah. And then I feel like, I don't know, my mom caught on to what was going on or something and then explained what sex was. And she explained it from the idea of it being like for procreation purposes, like specifically slash only. And I'm like, wait, so Uncle Jay and Aunt Kim had sex? Wait, so they had (laughs) sex? Wait. And then, and none of it was like me, ew, gross. Like I was just so fascinated by it. And just was, yeah, so obsessed with, like, the idea of sex at a young age. And, like, sexual desire. Like, I was, remember, I always reference Married with Children, like, as being, like, one of the thing, one of the shows that helped, like, helped me figure out I was gay because I felt such an attraction for the mom. Um, Catherine Seagal. Yeah, I think that's right. But she's, like, did you ever see the show? I don't think so. 
I like never watched it, but I it would be like on in the corner kind of a thing. Like it was considered inappropriate for me or something. Gotcha. But she's like really busty and like uses her sex appeal for power and all of these things. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. But I think to our earlier conversation about masturbation, it's funny because the first time I masturbated, I was 15 and I, I didn't know what it was before then. So I like, and I intuitively must not have figured it out to try to do it. But the first time I masturbated, I like did it in my bathtub. I lit like eight candles. I turned off the light. Like it was like such a sensual experience. It was a thing, yeah. Yeah. And that's like part of what I'm trying to bring back now because I think like I'm so good at making myself come in like a minute to two minutes that it's just like done, you know? Yeah. There's no longer like an indulgent experience. Yeah. So I'm like bringing that back, but. That's cool. I hadn't ta- thought to talk about the pleasure lineages. I like wanted to write mine fully out. I still probably will. I thought about getting parts of it tattooed. Really? Like, yeah, because this, um, the quote that I had by Audre Lorde is signed, Mother in my mother tongue, like honoring that ancestry that Audre Lorde is one of my ancestors. And I want to get one for my biological family, but also maybe like include my sexual, you know, line- pleasure lineage in there and mm-hmm. mentors. Yeah. The other thing, one of the other things that I liked about the book is the cartography, how she's like, let's develop these maps for for these things. And it got me thinking about like my own sort of constellation. Um, oh, and I wanted to ask, like, do you do body maps or do you like map out your body in any way? Mm-mm. No. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> what does that, what does that mean? So I was just thinking about it when I, I read this that, oh, okay. So I've done a couple of body maps, maps in a couple of different contexts. Like one is related to sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. So basically understanding what parts of your body are sensitive to like triggering stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like my nipples, if my nipples like just get erect on a, because the wind blows too hard accidentally, then I'm really self-conscious. I feel really mm-hmm. exposed. I feel really, you know, because that relates to my sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um and it makes me feel like there's a lack of control I have over mm, sexual mm-hmm. stimulation. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but then, like, pleasure body maps, my partner and I will do this where... Well, we've done this. <laughs> where we'll trace each other's body, like, in the dark and just... We'll have some sort of, like, code and metric, like, red light, green light, hot, cold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you are touching somewhere that feels really pleasurable, I'll be, like, warm. You can, mm-hmm. you know, increase that touch. Uh, or if it's, like, a don't touch space like red you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and that way we can really discover like okay you've got a tickle spot here Mm. when i kiss this spot your knees buckle and you know i can feel you getting wet Mm -hmm. that's fun you should try it do it with yourself yeah i'm gonna look it up and try it i'm such like a um so much of how i figure things out about myself is through reading books i'm like um in any kind of research like and i (laughs) Like, in a funny example, I got a tattoo recently. I was going to start a sleeve. I have this. And um, I watched, like, I don't know, three hours of, like, interviews with tattoo artists so that when I got there, I would be doing the appropriate social etiquette (laughs) for getting a tattoo. Absolutely. Um, So, uh, anyway, so my point being, this kind of stuff is, like, so fascinating to me that I'm always, like, okay, now I want to read everything about brain map or like body mapping okay now i want to finally like get my ancestry thing you know do you know your astrology chart your natal chart 
I'm, yeah, I'm a Virgo and my rising is a Gemini and my um, moon is a Cancer. Okay, that's cool. I like that. What's uh, yours? I'm a Taurus sun, I'm a Virgo moon, and I'm an Aries rising. But I Love wanna, that. Thank you. <laughs> but I identify with you with the Virgo. I, I realized that we have that similar energy earlier. Mm-hmm. And Geminis are like witty and apparently like to know everything about everything. So I yes. eventually want to be a jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like that in combination with it's like a it's an interesting combination with the Virgo because I feel like Virgos can be more like laser focused mm-hmm. and specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's funny. I would have guessed you were an earth sign. I actually was going to ask earlier when you were talking about needing grounding and like the way you were talking about your space and that being important. I was like, I think they're an earth sign. Definitely. (laughs) And I love Tauruses. That's probably why we're getting along. Yeah, Virgo and Taurus are like this. I know. (laughs) My sound editor who was over here is a Taurus. They were super cute. I looked at the picture and was like... (laughs) (laughs) They are so cute. And I'm always telling them, I'm like everyone thinks you're cute they don't believe it i think they're just really humble or something maybe they know they just don't want to let on yeah (laughs) i think it's it's definitely yeah it's it's different when you're like i know i'm hot you know they're like what You're listening to the podcast, you love what you see, you want more. Well, you can't. Lou Barrett owns a publishing company called Purple Palm Press. Purple Palm Press is not just alliteration, okay? This is an outlet for queer people and queer artists to express themselves and to share stories specifically focused on dating and relationships. Always a spicy and interesting time. So you may be listening to this and say, I like what I'm hearing and I want to do more. I want to be part of this. I want it. That's what I say when I listen. And you can, because you can go to Lou Barrett's Patreon, also known as patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett. And there, you can donate a little chunk of change. You know, if you're there, why not? And guess what? 50% goes to Lou, 50% goes to Purple Palm Press, and 100% of us are happy because we got more ability to make content and we're supporting each other and everything's great. So check it out, patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett. I mean, one of the things I really liked, which I... um brought up in the other episode, but I wanted to get your perspective on it. Generative boundaries is the idea that like, it's kind of like, to me, it felt like a different way about talking about emotional labor. So she gave the example that like with, with a partner, she could say something like, you know, I'm here to do like our work and I'll do my work, but I can't also take on your work. So what can you do to like ensure that you're taken care of. And I really liked it because I was always felt really off put by conversations about emotional labor because it just always felt um, really negative or I want to get closer negative or I think, well, I think some of it comes from, I think I was often performing, performing a lot more emotional labor than I was like, I don't know, accepted or like didn't want to see it that way. But I guess it's like, I think of like emotional support and like holding space as like being like 
a regular part of relationships. Yeah, I agree. So <laughs> when I, the more I was like seeing these memes of like, don't do emotion, people's emotional labor, da, 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 da. And I was like struggling with it because I was like, isn't this like a part of like being in relationship? And I think sometimes for me with us, we're in such this individualistic society. And sometimes I have a hard time parsing like, is is this right? Or is it another version of us being so like self-obsessed that we're like, I can't do anything for anybody that depletes me in any way, (laughs) you know? And like, but what I liked about the way she phrased it is that it felt like a lot more, um, like flexible. And it, it wasn't her saying like, she says during it, like that there's some level of like, emotional support that's like that's a part of like interconnected being interrelated to other people or interdependent um but that it can get if it's so like unevenly weighed that can like definitely be an issue but I guess I guess on the topic of like emotional labor or like um I don't know I guess like that was something I want to talk about like what do you what do you think about when you think about emotional labor and do you think that that what do you have to add I guess to that conversation sure. yeah thank you for that for setting that ground mm-hmm. um so I've heard gender of generative boundaries in the, the context of like as you're evolving with a person as your relationship is evolving like you will continue to generate boundaries that maybe mm-hmm. you hadn't established before but mm-hmm. it's like you know an evolutionary process which makes sense I think in the context of what you're saying because emotional labor is like a really valuable thing mm-hmm. that we all do absolutely have to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right that some people are incapable of performing it for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those I think we have to give grace to and others I think people need to get their shit together. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I am somebody who like has done a lot of emotional labor in my life that didn't feel good or didn't feel consensual or didn't mm-hmm. feel like enthusiastic an enthusiastic yes like this is not definitely not for giving me pleasure uh but I'm someone now who's reclaiming like okay I though I have this ability to communicate well emotionally uh I don't want to use it all the time Mm -hmm. I only want to use it sometimes and I want you to also pull your weight Mm -hmm. by like doing your work this is a conversation I have with my a very very good friend of mine and my partner very often my friend because so often she will lie to me mm. <laughs> basically by like like lying like I'll be like hey are you okay are you mad at me and she'll be like no 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 and a week later I'll, we'll be mm. like okay well now we have to recommend the fact that yes you were mm-hmm. or she'll be like hey I, really, I need you to do this thing for me and I'll be like okay uh and maybe like I, I don't she doesn't communicate well enough and I don't come through and it doesn't happen the way we planned it or expect it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, okay, is there, like, are you holding residual tension for that? And she'll be like, no, you know, just whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. I'm like, girl, <laughs> consent is a two-way street. You have to both be able to communicate what you mm-hmm. want, what you expect, and what you don't want. And I have to be willing to hear that, receive that, and honor that. Um, and the same with boundaries. Like, I can't honor your boundaries if you don't communicate what they, those are. And you can't honor mine or the boundaries of like effective communication if you don't carry your own weight mm-hmm. you know if you don't if you're not honest with yourself and then honest with me and if you haven't done the work of like 
where is this coming from? Where is this anger that I'm giving to Asia right now coming from? Right. It's actually because I've had a pissy day and like it has nothing to do with them and I can fess up to that. Right. I love that because it seems like the alternative, if I'm understanding, if you like were to be perform taking more of the weight would be to like continue probing and like really figuring that out for them almost and then presenting it exactly like doing yeah the work for them like hey girl i can tell that you're mad is it because this that and the third instead of you just being up front and be like hey i'm mad because <laughs> right know? right that makes sense that's really interesting and yeah i do think when she explains gender boundaries she explains them similarly to what you're saying because she uses the word like porous that they're like yeah, can come, you know, can change and gotcha, fluid, cool. Yeah, um, so I really like that, and uh, and the topic of us um, of like individualism. How do you think that like gets in the way of people's like pleasure journeys? And then like, how do you think it like helps? I don't know. You know, what are the pros? What are the cons? I struggle with individualism because I'm like st- I. I feel like I'm staunchly anti-individualism. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder if I'm, like, like too communal to mm-hmm. an unhe- unhealthy degree. Um, maybe I'm, like, you also should probably invest in yourself and, like, have personal boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think there's so much space that we're not attending to um, in the realm of, like, developing community. Oftentimes, pleasure is communal. Like, pleasure is... They reference it somewhere in here, but pleasure is a self-serving act, but it's also like a liberatory act, so it benefits the whole, like the whole world. Mm-hmm. You know, when I engage, when I'm happier, when I'm healthier, when I'm living a more fruitful, like fulfilling life, then literally everybody in my life benefits. I'm probably a better person, better to mm-hmm. the planet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think individualism is causes repression. Mm-hmm. I think that there's another quote out there about isolation and just how like isolation is when we're feeling insecure it's when we're feeling dark and ashamed and that allows more isolation and depression and pathology to breed whereas when we're feeling embraced we feel warm we feel invited we feel confident I feel my most confident when I'm like in a group chat with my other weird freaky friends. Mm-hmm. I have a sex a sex lib chat where I'm just like, hey guys, like what age did I start having sex? Were you having good sex in high school? Like, are your ancestors in the bedroom with you? If so, are they approving? Are they disapproving? Like what you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and although like it feels brave to go out on a limb and ask other people these very intimate thoughts I have with myself, because so much of my life has been like people labeling that as weird or like mm-hmm. stuff you don't talk about mm-hmm. i'm like no that's wrong <laughs> like there's a whole world of people who love to talk to me about this mm-hmm. stuff and like rejoice in you know the spaces that we can make around this so mm-hmm. i think pleasure is a deeply communal uh even if you're doing it by yourself mm-hmm. Act. Mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah i i'm pretty i i don't like individualism i think it's the root of so many of our problems but I think about how individualism is so feels like on the basis of like, what do people owe me? What do I expect of other people? What do other people do for me? Like, what do I need, you know, in order to give to somebody? Like, it, it's just so focused on this, like... Reciprocal transactional. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When I think of with like, um, have you read All About Love, Bell Hooks? Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I read it. It was like... Um, two two and a half years ago but that was like such a game changer for me like 
I've always been anti-consumerist. And so that aspect of it, I was so into, but just the idea that we're so often, um, like looking at people, like they're another product to like, you know, get rid of, get a new one, upgrade, whatever, whatever. So I think in that way, um, individualism can be so like a detriment to, to feeling pleasure. Yeah. And I think Adrian Marie Brown really describes the effects of exploitation and of capitalism Mm -hmm. on the body, the physical, the mental, the spiritual and the, the pleasurable, like not only has like the ripple effects of oppression and individualism aren't just that people are living miserable lives. It's that people's DNA has changed, that the planet Mm. has changed, that like our entire relationship to our species, to ourselves Mm -hmm. has changed. Um, and so where's the room for pleasure in that? It's mm-hmm. you know, that pellet, that, that small pellet that we get to uncover at some points. And if we're, you know, incredibly brave and hopefully incredibly blessed, uh, we get to spread that throughout our lives. But like, it's a daring thing to do with what we want and to be brave in our pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially with what you were saying earlier, so much of the stigmas against it, or like the stigma against being interested. Um this has been really great. Yay. How's it been for you? <laughs> I've had fun. Yeah. We went, all night. <laughs> we went through, we went through to so many different places, which is like what I hope for this podcast. Yay. So, um, the cl- way I'm closing, po- closing episodes is, um, with books. I think I'm such a book fan and I, so many books have like changed my perspective, my worldview, like they can, there are things that I take away for years and years. So with pleasure activism, what is like a, like something that's like changed the way you think about something and that you'll take on with you? Definitely. That it's possible to um, make a living doing the work you want to do. Uh, can I expand on that more? A hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, have been trying, like I've been, Juggling the concept of creating sacred space for work uh, for the past like year, year and a half. I'm doing my doula practice was a big part of that. It's like I want to step out on my own. I feel like I have these gifts, have these abilities, have these skills um, that I want to practice. And I feel like that's my true life's work. Mm-hmm. But because of capitalism, namely, uh, I don't get to do that. I don't get to commit to that. It doesn't make me money so I can sustain myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get to, like, yeah. So sacred space for my work, a sacred ritual practice around my work has been important. And I think, so when I graduated college, like, I felt a lot of, like, a lot of people were, like, asking me, you know, the typical questions. What are you mm-hmm. going to do after? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do after? And I was like... I'm going to, like, decompress from this four years of trauma. (laughs) I'm going to, like, not have a plan and, like, go home and be with my family and hopefully, like, work on healing with them and, like, Mm -hmm. just have a good-ass, like, time and then answer that question later, you know? Mm -hmm. And then reality was just not not what I needed it to be whatsoever, and I fell into despair. Mm -hmm. And for the past, like, three years, I've been, like, clawing my way out of that and doing... Yeah, just a lot of, like, these experiences of finding my pleasure and finding what feels true to me uh, and creating that pleasure index where I can locate what feels genuinely good and what feels, like, 
borrowed stuff that it's time mm. to let go of. Like, thank you, mom, for teaching me what sex was for you. I'm at a place now where I can define that for myself freely. Mm-hmm. And I no longer need, like, that shameful understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, religion, for being there when I needed you as a kid. And, you know, these texts, these prescriptions no longer serve me. And so I can let that go. What feels good to me now is, like, spirituality with nature is thinking of my ancestors of finding pleasure through sex mm-hmm. uh and so many other things um yeah so i feel like i can build a life around that and see people who could write a text like this in this world and this be their second third published mm-hmm. text i'm like okay like mm-hmm. you can do that you can do this like yeah and it being a new york times bestseller impressive as fuck and like <laughs> not only is it just her but she's bringing into dialogue this constellation of artists who are mm-hmm. doing the work so it's you know absolutely possible and mm-hmm. so, so refreshing yeah i really that was one of the things that i thought was so unique about the book is that um it feels so grounded in uh the different identities she has being a person of color being queer that she's bringing in so many other voices throughout the book and is like never at all claiming to be the authority on the topic and i thought that was like so um so cool and interesting and she even references the koenbachi kohen river collective which i've it's an anthology and i feel like Mm -hmm. all work from great like feminist scholars has been an anthology that weaves together this fabric of work and like thank god because that's you know that's our map in the sky when we like need to fill those ancestors we need to know what's possible and we need guiding light like i look to this work which is filled with so many people who have laid the groundwork for me to to pick it up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think for me the generative boundaries thing was so huge <laughs> tell me more about that for you i just think that i had um so much like I don't know, healing to do around the emotional labor conversation. It just felt so, um, I don't know, really binary and black and white. And I couldn't find, I couldn't figure out a way to relate to it. But I also felt like having some kind of grounding would help me in my romantic relationships. So I think having a different perspective on it um, and kind of like expand, you know, making it a little, um, yeah, more flexible in how she says porous uh was just um huge for me like since reading this book i've talked about the idea of emotional labor really casually for the first time ever like i was like people would bring up oh you're still doing emotional labor for your ex and i was like no i'm not like (laughs) i'm just supporting them it's normal to support people you know (laughs) but i like couldn't but now it's like all of a sudden people saying that all all of a sudden it makes sense you know where it's like I still don't think it was this black and white thing that I was like doing something that I necessarily like shouldn't have been doing. It was bad. Yeah. Right. I think that was my issue. I didn't like that it was like bad or good or, you know. Yeah. Whereas like she doesn't evaluate it and just like explains it. I'm like, great, this is what I want. <laughs> my therapist gave me that note yesterday. She was like, yeah, I was, no, she had like given me a long lecture about something and I was like, thank you i appreciate that and maybe i'll come around to like seeing things the way you do but for now i'm really committed to this thing that i'm doing mm-hmm. and she was like i give you grace to make bad choices i am your clinician through the bad choices and whatever else like mm-hmm. i'm like thank you like we all have to do it sometimes right and even if it you know do you deem it 
in the future not bad like that was your process and you're entitled to go through it right totally thanks well thank you so much it was so nice talking to you i think it's like you seem so intuitive and so like aware of yourself and your body and it just like really feels like all the work you do is like so present in your life and the way you talk about yourself and your background so i love it thank Thanks. you i appreciate being seen in those ways yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah definitely check out my website rootedgroundhealing.com uh, it's for my doula and sexual health practice and lots more in the way of a digital blog to come nice <laughs> thank you all right thanks and that's our episode i want to thank asia map again for being on the podcast it was so amazing talking about all the different things we talked about i want to thank adrian marie brown again for writing pleasure activism because without them writing this we would not have had a show today I want to thank Samantha Grace for writing the amazing theme song for this podcast. I want to thank Noelle Richard for creating the cover art along with design from Lauren McAndrews. I want to thank Mae Brando for doing the sound editing for this episode. I want to thank Coley Pizzoli for giving something extra to the ads, as well as coming over an hour before this episode recorded while I was freaking out not knowing how to set up the mic. So thank you, Coley, for always being there when I need you. I want to thank show sponsors, Max Max Books on Coventry and Barbara Marie Mini. And last but not least, I want to thank you, all of you for listening. Oh my goodness, what it would be like if you weren't listening. Wouldn't that be wild? Imagine. Imagine this show airs and nobody listens. Ever. Imagine what that would be like. I guess that would be okay. (laughs) I guess that would be okay and I would find a way to be okay. However, I'm glad that that is not the case and that you are listening. If you want to contribute to this podcast, and I'm sure you do, please go to my Patreon that I share with Purpled Palm Press, my publishing company. That's www.patreon.com slash Lou Barrett. I'll spell my name for you. It's L-O-U-B is in babe, A-R-R-E-T-T. That's Lou Barrett. Anything you can give is amazing and helps this show continue so thank you thank you thank you so much we will have merch coming soon until next time have a great day and maybe if you want maybe masturbate but only if you want to that's totally up to you but if you wanted to it could be nice to come
talk it out now. Let's talk it out now, baby. Let's talk it out now. Let's talk it out now.